0: This will be a a probably continuation of where we've been. And where we've been is we've been talking about our relationships with each other, particularly in the area of words, words that build, words that tear down. And um, this was part of some things I wanted to talk to you guys about after we kind of brought in, as I said last week, I've been saying as we brought in some new members, um, I wanted to take time to really talk about some foundational things. And we've talked about um, prayer and devotional life and time in the word and and now we're talking a little bit about our words with each other in particular, this day we're going to talk about words that are involved in confrontations and conflicts um, you know <laughs> conflicts are um, unavoidable, and there's just <laughs> no way to live in this life without having relational uh break and relational um, a hardship, and we just can't avoid it. What we can do is try to be prepared for it, and try to understand what does God give us in terms of tools to handle conflict. But there's no question that conflict is going to come. I, I, I remember growing up in Bible churches and and see, hearing about other churches that would have these splits and big conflicts, and they'd break up about organ music, or they'd break up about you know whether they were going to have this particular program or not. And I'd thought, gosh, that's so crazy. Like, I can't believe Christians would do that. Like, I can't imagine that happening. And then it it really did happen. (laughs) It happened in our church in a lot of ways. And I think that um, for me, it's it's such an important foundation to lay, which is to say, Lord, what do we do when we have conflicts with one another? What, What do you want us to do? How do we survive this? How do we flourish through this? How do we glorify you in it? So what I want to do today is is really go through some principles from god 's Word. I hope you'll see that they 're from god 's Word about conflict and we really started last week, and if you didn't hear last week's message, hopefully if it 's not up yet, it will be up this week and and you know in that message, I talked about about three primary things and i 'm just going to briefly review those three primary things because they 're fundamental. Um, the first one is not in your notes. The first one was really kind of the strainer, the, the, the main strainer of conflict, which is if I have a struggle with someone, do I need to talk about it with them? Like, do I need to bring this to the person or people? Um, there's a category that's important to weigh. Now, sometimes you just know. Like, the situation is so big, you just know. But there's a category um, Called forbearance in the scriptures. Colossians 3.13 tells us to live with one another. With This isn't in your notes yet. To live with one another with all humility and gentleness and patience. Showing forbearance to one another. That means to overlook stuff. There's going to be stuff that we'll have to go to each other about. And there's stuff that we just overlook. And it's it's a wisdom and Holy Spirit led call to know where that is. Proverbs 19.11 says that good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is a man's glory, and surely a woman's glory too, to overlook an offense. So a fair question is, if we brought this thing up, whatever it is, are we nitpicking? Can we overlook it? Maybe we've prayed and prayed, and we just can't find peace, or you're really hurt, and you realize, "I, I need to talk. Maybe it's an event Regarding a significant sin against God that you can just tell right away that needs intervention. Another sign would be you're, you're responding to clear patterns. It isn't something that's just happened once. You know, one of the frustrating things about um, this conversation is it's not just frustrating. It's God by God's design. There's not like a, a you know a, a technical manual you can go to and say, um, I went to the grocery store and the oranges were rotten and I should talk to the grocer. How do I know? You, you know, it, it's like so much of this stuff is, is trying to stay close enough to the Lord and His word and wisdom to know what to do and how to walk it out. Um, but if, if we get past that question, which I spent some time on last week, on if I should go or not, and you come to the place where you're like, yes, I need to go, then you're left with how? How do we go? How do we go? And there's a really big overhanging verse that, that I, I, I wanted to hang all the rest of these principles on. And it comes from Galatians 6. Galatians 6.1 tells us this. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you to be tempted. So that's going to be kind of our overhanging verse. We're going to talk about how do we position ourselves to be gentle? And that's where we're getting this from. And Jacob is walking away just, oh, he's getting water because I'm going to ask him to pray in just a second. But that's kind of the the overhanging verse of the rest of these principles is we're dealing with the question of what can we do to come in a spiritual and gentle frame of mind. So before we go any further, Jacob, would you mind uh, praying for the message and praying for our hearing it? Thank you, Jacob. Can you guys hear me okay? I'm hearing like a double echo or something. Oh, it's probably the, um, well, now it's gone. Okay, thanks, Josh. You're magic, you're a magical person. i uh, grateful for you. Um. So, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you be tempted. So gentleness is the operative word here. That's the way in which we go to someone. A gentleness doesn't mean um, cowardly. Uh, it means that we're we're able to bring something to someone. In humility, in patience, in kindness, uh, not with harshness, not with rudeness, not with arrogance, not with ungodly anger. Gentleness is is really, you know, if you look at the um, the word in Greek and you do a cross check on it and you look at the different adjectives, it means gentleness like it it really does convey the word that we understand and we hear and that's why good translations would use a word like gentleness because all those ideas of kindness and mercy and meekness and humility and patience and kindness they all swarm around that word and the 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 antithetical words like harshness and arrogance and pride and bitterness and ungodly anger they are ways to define the light by the darkness around it and so in every conflict and every opportunity we want to ask God to help us to be gentle as we come. You know, every conflict really does present the possibility of finding ourselves on the other side of it with a, a more real, a stronger, a better relationship, that the Lord would work repentance in, in either or both. And then there's also the reality that every conflict that's, that's jarring and real uh, it has the possibility that you come out of it more brittle, with the person, more damaged, more angry, more confused, more torn. And so, I mean, it's just, it, we're fragile, we're vulnerable to these things in ourselves and, and getting hurt by others. And, you know, there's sometimes there's just nothing we can do. We, we gotta, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit, but there is the reality as we go in here. There's a lot of qualifiers I could take a long time to make about violent issues or repeatedly divisive people that become, you know, the words we might use today, toxic, but there are people that you just have to walk away from. Um, there's a verse in Romans twelve eighteen 18 that, that has a, a, a gracious note to it where it says that as far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. Sometimes you can do the best you can and it's not enough to secure peace with the person because the other person is not ready to see or to repent or to love. But isn't it so like painful when you leave a relational situation worse, and you know it. Like you, you, you walk out of an argument or a friendship, you know, a marital strife. And you just know, like, I bombed that thing. I, I poured napalm on this relationship. My words were awful. I'm really just disgusted with myself. We've all been there. It's just so painful to look back and think, oh, I should have done it this way. If only I could. And sometimes we can repair that by God's grace. But sometimes we can't the way that we want to. And so gentleness is critical. Gentleness is critical. Gentleness is something God can use much more than our rage. Gentleness is something God can use much more than our our judgment without mercy. Gentleness makes room so often. It makes room for the other person to be gentle with us. Not always, but so often it does. So what I want to do today is go through this list and, and, and try to bring these questions and principles that hopefully you can use as you think about confrontations, as you think about conflicts, to position yourself, as far as it depends on you, to come in gentleness to the person. And one thing I want to say, some of these are going to hit you. You're going to be like, yeah that's something that I hope you you might get one or two of these and feel like this really resonates with me. So there's nine of them on here. I don't know how many we're going to get through today, but I'm not looking for you to every time you have a conflict necessarily go through each nine things. I mean, you, you know yourself better than I do. And um, I I don't want you to feel like you've got to use this as a, um, as a rigid grid every time, but, but hopefully you'll, you'll see some things that God will speak through. So, just a quick review of, of last week. The, the first one on my list is in priority for a good reason. It's, it's just basically kind of a gut check moment to ask yourself, what do I want? When you're in this conflict, when you're in this um, confrontation with a person, just to sit back with the Lord and say, what do I want? Like, what do I want? What am I after? What am I hoping to get out of this conflict? Like, do I want revenge? Or do I want... God's glory and their good. First Colossians ten thirteen says, so whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And if if eating and drinking is to be done to the glory of God, how much more are walking through our confrontations and conflicts with each other? Because when we ask ourselves what do we want out of the situation, you know, kind of once we figure that out, we should answer it with I want to get to the place where I want what God wants. I want what he wants. I, I, I want to want his heart and his character to be honored and magnified in how I walk this out. And we think about what God's heart is like in the context of opposition or conflict, functional enemies in our life. Jesus says that his character is merciful. Matthew 5 The Lord's explaining why we should love our enemies. And he says we should love our enemies because he does. He's merciful, he says, to the just and the unjust. He gives rain to the wicked and the righteous. He gives crops and food to those who are pleasing to him in the way they're walking and to those who aren't. And so if we want to be his children as we truly are in Christ, That's how we want to be with those that we're in confrontation with, those that we're in conflict with. We want an attitude of mercy. Now, a qualification here, this doesn't mean that that we're called to be doormats, ignore our own hurts, not seek for the other person to acknowledge what they've done to us. It means that we, we say no to a judgmental condemning spirit or a kind of quiet hatred. And instead, we seek the good of each other for God's glory. That's what we should want one another's good for God's glory. Philippians 2 4 says, Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. When you're in a conflict with someone, a confrontation with someone, you want to say, Lord, help me want their best interest in this resolution. Help me seek their good. You're not called to want yourself to be destroyed and humiliated and bashed around but you need to make room. We need to make room for wanting their good and that to be a real goal if we're gonna represent God and honor him. We wanna to come to a conflict seeking God's pleasure, his delight in how we walk it out. And when we do that, he is going to load up his armor of power through the Holy Spirit to help us do that. It doesn't mean you can do it overnight. A lot of the things I'm gonna talk about today and maybe next week They they can take days, if not weeks. In some cases, months or maybe even years to work through. But they're worth fighting for. They're worth praying over again and again. So, what do you want? And what we want to end up with is we want God's glory. We want not just our own interest, but the interest of the other person for God's glory. Number two, another basic one we touched on last week is, is am I coming, the way I'm, I'm articulating it here, am I coming to this conflict with any logs I've not dealt with? Am I coming to this conflict with things that are going on in me that I'm contributing that I haven't been honest with myself about? So here you're trying to take stock of how you may have sinned in this situation yourself. Many of our conflicts, if not most, involve a mixture of both motives and complicity. Not just different motives in us, but, but also, it's usually, well, I, I don't need to give you guys a math breakdown, but a lot of times, both parties have something they've contributed. And a lot of times, functionally speaking, one party may have done the much worse thing than the other party. But, but the Lord would have us ask ourselves, is there something I'm bringing to this that I can own? So in Matthew seven three four, 4, he says, Why do you see see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Well, how do you find a log? Like, how do you go clearing for logs in your own heart? Well, when we ask that question, we're back to looking at Motives, cravings. We talked about this last week in James 4. James says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God, and when you ask, you do not receive. Because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Again, most of you guys weren't here last week, um, I think. So I just want to make clear James is not talking about the evil, the inherent evil of desire or pleasures. No, many desires and pleasures that we experience and have are, are good and God given. He means desires that we sin in order to get or desires that we sin because we don't get them. Probably most conflicts involve some good thing that we want or the other person wanted from us. Be it some level of basic respect, or kindness, or logic to operate in the household. Be it some level of relational affection that you want. Extra sleep you could use. um, Time to work on a, project at work that you wanted to finish before you come home or you wanted someone to just show up for the meal that you made and worked hard on none of these things are wrong like they're all reasonable and good desires but oftentimes when we don't get them james says we kill and that's when we know that this desire that's good has taken central place in our hearts above god because we start to kill for it he doesn't mean physically, obviously, usually he doesn't mean, although that certainly does happen. But we don't usually kill each other with guns. We, we kill each other with fits of rage. We kill each other with condemning words. We kill each other on the other side, depending on if you're a fight or flight kind of person or, or some mixture. You know, I'm, I'm both. It depends on the situation. We kill each other with silence, significant pouting, with bitterness, sarcasm, cynicism. So it's important to ask when we see that stuff coming out, Lord, are you showing me a log? Is there a log here? Because I got hurt, but man, did I hit back hard. And now that's part of the issue is how hard I hit back. So are there, you know, did I just give in to impatience here? You know, that, that person is hard for me to deal with. But, Lord, you're here so that I can. And maybe I lashed out at them because I'm just frustrated. But it came out in harsh judgments and cruel words. And and I need to come to my brother or sister and own that. So we want to take time to do that. And that can take a long time. I mean, it, it can for me. We quoted Proverbs 25 last week, where the proverb writer says, the purposes in a man's heart are like deep waters, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Sometimes that's a friend who draws it out, but sometimes it's it's just us and the Lord over a day saying, Lord, I feel like something's not right here in the way my heart is towards this person. Would you please help me put my finger on it? And if he shows us something, then we can go into that situation and say, God has showed me something, and um, I, I got to be honest, I got hurt, but can I tell you that I, I can see how I reacted to you was, wasn't was right, and I want to own that. And, and I've, man, I don't want to start using my I, myself in some great example. I'm not. I'm just saying that a lot of times with Jen, I can't make heads or tails out of why we're in the conflict we're in or quite how we got there or exactly do the math perfectly on who's right and who's wrong. But I can see that the way that I responded to something that I thought was wrong in her was with harshness and not gentleness. And so even if I'm sure that the way she treated me was wrong, if I can come to her and start with, honey, I responded with harshness and not gentleness. Like yeah, we got to talk about that thing. But I know already, <laughs> and I want to talk about that thing because that thing hurt or it confused me, but I know already that the way I responded was awful. So would you please forgive me because I, I wasn't patient with you. I wasn't gentle with you. And I have a great, gracious wife. Not everybody gets to have the, the partner and soulmate that I have. Um, but that kind of posture can often make room in our relationships for the other person to start to think about their own sin, their own impatience, their own harshness, what they did wrong. When we lay down our weapons as a reflex, a lot of times the other person will lay down some of their weapons. Not always, right? I know you know. But very often. And that's humble. That's gentleness that God can use when we look for the log in our own eye in the situation. Um... Number three, am I coming as a fellow sinner or simply as a judge? I'm not going to read the parable. Last week we went through Matthew 18, 21 through 25, the parable of the unmerciful servant. Hopefully everybody knows that parable. If you don't know that parable, that is one of the most foundational, important pieces of Scripture in the Bible when it deals with relationships. Basically, the parable is about uh, a very wealthy um, Man who forgave someone who owed him millions of dollars, and then that person who was forgiven refused to forgive someone who owed him, relatively speaking, a few hundred dollars or a few th- a few months of of income, and it, it it shows the hypocrisy in our hearts that, as forgiven people, sadly it's very easy for us to often treat other people with unforgiveness, and so we want to come into our confrontations, and our conflicts, reminding ourselves. We're sinners who've been forgiven greatly by God. We were indebted tremendously to him, and he's forgiven us. And and that postures our heart to to see the the, the bigger picture of the conflict. I'm coming not as a judge. I'm coming as someone whom the judge has forgiven. And one of the things I said last week that I do want to repeat is, is this phrase. I said, if you can when you're in a conflict with someone and you're working through that or a confrontation and you're working through it and anger and judgment are raging at your heart and pulling you in try to bring your sin into that situation what i mean is try to bring your forgiven sins from your past into that conflict when you're really angry at somebody and you can tell that you're you're just filled with rage it is so helpful to look back at your life if you can and look at some massive massive sins or transgressions that you've committed against God or against people that he's forgiven you for. And it's made such a difference this year in some things for me, just in some conflicts to just go back to even 20 years ago, I went back to something I did that was really, really wrong, really impure. um, I don't know, 2000 year 2000 or something. And it just, it's like, wow, Lord, you forgave me. How can I hold my brother or sister in a position of condemnation when I did this awful thing and you were gracious to me. You forgave me. And it really can take the teeth out of our anger. But more than that, we're commanded to do this. We're commanded to come to one another, not with a spirit of judgment, but gentleness. And so we want to remember that we're forgiven people who owe God a great deal more than anyone owes us. And yet we've been forgiven. Number four, Am I coming with sincere questions or premature conclusions? Now, sometimes the topography of the conflict is pretty clear. The motives seem very clear. The actions are obvious. But a lot of times, that's not the case. And, and in times where things are emotionally loaded, our, our desires, our hurt, our anger can rise up in us so quickly that they lead us to really rush past Important questions, important realities that are going on in a situation that if we knew about them and if we could slow down to think or ask questions would create room for more understanding and even compassion. There's a a meme that's been out recently that I I posted on Facebook a couple of months ago that I I really love. Brando, do you have that? And it says, why you should be gentle with people and so you can see someone's life is the 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 whole little stick there and then the black part there's a black part that says um, someone's life and then at the very end there's a little tiny blue part that says what you know about it right can you guys kind of see that why you should be gentle with people is because there's a whole life that they've lived that you really don't have any clue about and you might be getting you know the tiniest bit of it there's often much more going on in people's hearts and lives than we know Proverbs eighteen thirteen is one of my favorite proverbs when it comes to conflict um, and one that I constantly need to look at and think about. It says, one who gives an answer before he hears, it is foolishness and shame to him. The proverb writer, I think the, the message or somebody says, when you think you know it all, how stupid and rude you are. <laughs> I think that's the message translation or something like that. It's basically one who answers without thinking or answering. It says they're stupid and rude. <laughs> they're being stupid and rude. But I, it, it, is so, it is so sad and easy for us to assume much more than we have a right to assume in conflicts. And I have seen people in their blind confidence thinking they know much more than they did about people in situations. And even in the name of holiness... Slander and judge brothers and sisters and destroy relationships. And I, and I feel like I've done that. I've assumed things without asking questions that would have slowed me down and created a gentle spirit in the dynamic between me and the other person. So we want to come to conflict seeking to understand. Asking things like, can you please tell me why you did this? Like, I'm frustrated, but I really just, I want to know like, what was going on in your heart Like What were you feeling? What were you thinking? Why do you think you did this? Do you think there's something I'm missing here? Why did you do this, but not this? And we can ask those questions rhetorically. (laughs) We can ask them with a mixture of hurt. Or we can ask them with, while there's hurt, a real desire to know. Because we're hoping that we can reconcile. Because we're hoping that we can gain our brother or gain our sister. And not live in ongoing bitter brokenness with them. And when you ask questions like that, when I ask questions like that instead of me assuming and judging, we can come out of that kind of interchange. On one hand, we can come out more aware that the person is even more stuck in sin than we thought and blinder than we thought. Or we can come more aware that, wow, there's some things that they're going through that I had no idea that if I had just taken into mind, that they'll help me like have more compassion and understanding for them. But whether you come away one way or the other, I don't think you'll ever regret taking more time to ask another question. I don't look back at my life and think, man, I'm so sad that I <laughs> I just asked more questions about that person, that situation. I'm so sad that I just showed more patience about that person and, and what they were going through and really tried to draw it out. I, my regrets are, are all the other side. I mean, I, I look over at my life and some of the things, I think the things I regret most in my life are the words I wish I had not said and the questions I wish I'd asked instead and the time I had taken to process, even alone, before I, I brought the heat. We need to be careful that we're simply judging what we cannot see. Sometimes, we'll never be able to see. You know, in in Corinth, one of my favorite passages is in the context of Paul the Apostle. He's being judged and condemned by people in the church there for his motives. Like, they're just assuming they know what's going on in his heart. And he says this amazing thing. I can't unpack it. I mean, this is worth a whole message, but I, w- I want to try to at least touch on some points. He says this amazing thing. He says to, the, to these people who are judging his motives, he says, this is how one should regard us. Here's how you should look at me. As servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Right? That's what you're saying. You're saying, I'm not faithful. But you should... <laughs> judge me as faithful and then he says with me it's a very small thing that i should be judged by you or by any human court in fact i do not even judge myself for because i'm not aware of anything against myself but i'm not thereby acquitted it is the lord who judges me therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time before the lord comes who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Now, he's not saying we should never discern, we should never judge. We we could look at all kinds of other verses and passages that say that we should. We should come to things with a right judgment, that we shouldn't look for evidence. But in his situation, here's what he's saying. He's saying to them, listen, you actually, I know, Corinthians, you have no proof that I've sinned against you. I don't think I've sinned. But you know what? God knows. Neither of us really, really knows like perfectly what's going on in my heart. So you know what you need to do? You need to leave it with the Lord. Now, if you had proof and you had evidence, then bring the gentle hammer that you need to bring. But since you don't know, and I know you don't know, and I'm not aware of anything, you shouldn't be judging me. And in case you're worried that there's something that you're going to get fooled by, God's got it. Wait for him. He'll reveal the motive at the proper time. He'll disclose the secrets of men's heart. It might take the judgment day if he doesn't do it in my life. You know, it would be better to be fooled by somebody with bad motives than to judge them without evidence. It would be better to leave it to the Lord than to presume that we know what's inside someone's heart before the Lord has shown it. Again, sometimes the Lord does show us what's in someone's heart. Sometimes their actions are unequivocally awful, and we can see it. He's not talking about that, obviously. Paul says, as far as I can tell, I'm good. I'm good. Be careful, because, man, there's stuff I can't see in my heart. The Lord knows. But you sure don't know, Corinthians. So lay off. Trust God. He'll take care of you. He'll take care of me. So we have to be careful not to presume that we know what we don't. And instead, we want to come with questions. Um, Number five, I think it's number five here. Do I know in this conflict that only God can get the other person to see what they should see? Do I recognize that only God can change someone's heart and not me? There's an amazing passage about this in 2 Timothy, or 1 Timothy. 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26, I've left it there. But listen to this amazing passage. Paul's instructing Timothy, because Timothy's now like Paul's little delegate at this church. He's instructing him, here, Timothy, here's how you pastor folks who are difficult or being difficult in the church. And he says this, "'The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, "'but be kind to all, "'skillful in teaching, patient when wronged, "'with gentleness, correcting those "'who are in opposition,' If perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil having been held captive by him to do his will. And, you know, I commend this passage to you in your own reading. This isn't just a list of different disconnected ways to handle conflict. Number one, don't be quarrelsome. Number two, be kind. Number three, be skillful in teaching. Number four, be patient. Number five, with discipline. Number six, if perhaps God. This is an interconnected complex here. What Paul is saying is, Timothy, I want you to endure evil patiently. I want you to confront gently. And, and here is a crucial fact to keep in mind so that you can do that. Look at verse 25. With gentleness, correcting those who are in op- opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. Do you ever feel like you're in a conflict with somebody You ju- you just want to grab them by the, the lapels, figuratively or realistically, and just like... You just need to get this in your thick skull. Like, can't you see this? You know, you maybe you just play that in your head. You don't actually do it, hopefully. But like, you're just like, oh, can't they just, this is basic. Folks, there are times in our lives where all of us are just stuck. We can't see. The enemy has got a foothold. He's blinded us in some aspect. If not, we're just <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm talking about Christians. We just can't see what we're supposed to see, what we should be able to see. And what Paul is trying to tell Timothy is, you can't make them see it. You can't do it, Timothy. And if you, if you go in with the attitude that it's up to you to get them to see, brother, that's gonna fill you with so much pressure, pride, fear, desire, God has to be the one to change hearts. We have to humbly accept that. We have to recognize that we can't do a thing to make someone see the right way. That means that pushing and shoving and screaming and fighting and scheming and demanding our way in conflicts and confrontations is off the table. God's not going to use that. Anyway, He's going to use gentleness. Um, Number six. Maybe we'll make this the last one. Let me see what seven is. All right, we'll, we'll see what we can do here. Number six. Am I leaving room for God's justice? Am I leaving room for God's justice? Another crucial help to us in conflicts and confrontations is to remember that God will not forget any wrongs done to you. He cares about justice more than you do. In an ultimate sense, every sin against you is a sin against him, and he cares more about it more than you do. He has to uphold perfect justice in this universe, or his integrity is a sham. Coming back to a beginning of a verse we referenced in, in Romans, Romans 12. If possible, Paul writes, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And again, not a disjointed list of tips. This is a really interconnected idea here. What's the antidote for a thirst for revenge when you know you've been mistreated? Like, what's the antidote for being conquered? I'm not saying wanting justice, but when you're conquered by a wrathful zeal for revenge, when you've been hurt, dishonored, disrespected, taken advantage of, cruelly treated, how do you get out of that? Well, prayer, certainly, certainly prayer. But listen to what Paul's saying. He, he has a strange answer. He says, leave room for God's wrath. It is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. No one is going to get away with anything in this life every wrong done to you will be paid back in full it will either be paid back through the blood of christ who suffered for those wrongs which are repented of or if not repented of it will be paid back for those who are unrepentant to god's grace in christ with judgment of hell and eternal destruction Everything is going to be made right. Either with the blood of God's son or with the fire of hell. Justice is going to be done. God will see to it. And if we take this to heart, it it can help free us in our love for our enemies. Believing and unbelieving. Knowing that for those unbelieving, what is in store for them is much worse than we could ever inflict. Or even really want for them. And that God will see to it that what's been done to us will be avenged. It will be repaid. That can foster compassion in us for the spiritual danger that they face and that they're up against. And if they're a believer, a brother and sister, we can remember that what they've done to me, God put on his son and he killed his son for it. And he cares about our suffering. He's afflicted in our afflictions. He he can and he will bring the appropriate discipline they need if they resist his loving calls to repent and change. If they're his children, he will bring discipline. But in another sense, we can take refuge in the fact that God took those things done to us that were so painful and so cruel. And he... In some metaphysical way, we can't perfectly diagnose. He, he has put those on his son when Jesus became sin for us. And then he crushed his son for those things done to us. God cares about your dignity. He cares about your suffering. It's 1156. Is this a good place to stop? Okay, we'll come back to a couple more here next week and um, maybe we'll have a a shorter message than usual. Um, You guys, I'm gonna pray for us and then let you go. Lord, I just pray for our relationships. I pray that you would help us to be a church that works through conflict and confrontation with grace, with mercy, with confidence in you. Lord, there's so much more I know I could say and I'm not saying about these things. There are so many qualifications and situations that, Two sermons, three sermons, 17 sermons won't cover. But you know how to deal with them all in our lives and to walk us through them. We pray for your mercy this week to follow us in these things and our relationships and our brokenness. Help us to seek you and your glory in all these things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.